0: are willing to go through the adversity, on the other side of that adversity is the best version of you.
1: Welcome everyone to the Driving Vision Podcast brought to you by the Ziegler Auto Group. I'm your host, Sam Dark. And here with me, Auto Group Director of Talent Development, Mike Van Ryan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Sam. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like it if you do, and leave a comment. Hello, listeners. It's Mike Van Rijn and I'd like to introduce our next guest. He just came in from the
0: UK where he spoke to the House of Lords and made a stop at Wimbledon. He is a high-demand speaker who speaks across the world. He has an incredible story that will make you stop, think, and figure out how you can lead a better life. Please join me in welcoming our friend, Damon West. All right, how's it going, Team Ziggler? This is great, y'all. I'm really excited to be here. And everybody that's joining us from Chicago and Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I was in Madison just last month speaking to the University of Wisconsin football team. Interesting story about that. I'll get to that at the end. But Paul Chris brought me in. Finally, it took five years for me to get that deal closed to go speak to the University of Wisconsin football team. So welcome, everybody that's coming to us virtually from Chicago and Wisconsin. It's great to be here in your culture. Culture is everything, y'all. I was just... Talking outside, Aaron and I were just talking outside about how culture is so important. Culture has to come from the top down. But it has to be bought into from everybody from the bottom up. So if culture isn't there, your culture is going to be defined by someone else. But you want to define your own culture. And what I saw on that wall out there, y'all, I speak to corporations all over the world. What I saw on that wall out there, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. 1975, the year I was born, 1975, Ziggler Auto Group starts. There's 10 employees. What are y'all at now? 2,500? About 2,500 in 47 years because I can do that math because I got a birthday coming up this year. 2,500 employees, y'all. That is phenomenal growth. And what's impressive about that wall is I'm watching the wall and it takes about what five years before you have over a hundred employees, but that's fast growth in five years. Some people can outgrow their business. They grow too fast and they outgrow their business and they dissolve and break down because their culture doesn't keep up with it. Y'all have invested in this room right here. This room is so impressive because y'all said, you know what? Culture is so important. We're going to have training rooms wherever we go. This is going to be important to us. We're going to zoom y'all in to make sure everybody gets this culture. So I'm honored to be a part of your culture today. I've got a message I want to bring to y'all today about finding opportunities in adversity because... Life is tough. Life is hard. And life is going to hand us this thing that I that we call adversity. There are two kinds of adversity you're going to find yourself in in life. There's the kind of adversity that you find yourself in with the choices that you make. And these are the ones that have harsh consequences sometimes. And then there's the kind of adversity that you find yourself in because life puts it on you. And life is hard, y'all. I'm telling you, life is You know this already. We just lived through a pandemic for the last two years. Life is hard. Life's going to throw things at you. Sometimes you're going to ask yourself, why me? Try not to do that, though. Because as my friend Ed Milet says, Ed says that life doesn't so much happen to you as it happens for you. Everything that you're experiencing in life has happened for you to become the best version of yourself. And like Ed says, that... This adversity you're going to face in life, if you're willing to go through the adversity, on the other side of that adversity is the best version of you. But if you're not willing to go through that, you'll never meet that version of yourself. And what a shame and what a waste it would be to not meet the best version of you. Let me tell you about a time in my life, about a story, about when I was facing some serious adversity, but it's the first kind of adversity that I told you, the kind you put yourself in with the choices that you make. So let's start the story off 14 years ago, July 30th, 2008. I'm sitting around this little rundown apartment in Dallas, Texas, and I'm sitting on this little ratty old couch, and I've got my meth dealer sitting next to me. 14 years ago, I'm not the clean-cut, polished-looking guy you see in front of you, best-selling books, movie coming out, college professor. None of that stuff has happened in my life 14 years ago, because 14 years ago, I'm a full-blown meth addict. I'm the head of an organized crime ring operating in the city of Dallas, and I'm sitting on the couch that day with my drug dealer. His name is Tex. And as we're smoking this pipe, passing it back and forth on the couch, I'm telling Tex, you don't want to be here right now. The end is near. The cops are closing in on me. Ten days before this, this guy that I was doing all these burglaries with in Dallas, this guy named Dustin, my partner in crime, had just been picked up by the Dallas Police Department in a stolen car. They've got my partner in crime in custody. I know it's just a matter of time before they get to me. And just as I pass that pipe back to text, the window on my right blows out and shatters. Psh! And tub went across my living room floor. is this little canister. It's going end over end, and it's smoking on one side. Y'all, I've seen this movie before. I know what that canister's about to do, right? And I tried to get out of the living room as fast as I could, right? Too late. Boom! The flashbang grenade goes off over my face, man. Bright white light, loud noise, blows me back on the couch. And when I came to, when I can see and hear again, there's a cop standing over me, full SWAT riot gear. His boot is on my chest. The barrel of an assault rifle is digging in my eye socket. His fingers right over that trigger, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs. Don't move! Don't move! Man, I looked at this cop, and I screamed back at him, Don't worry! Don't worry! (laughs) Yeah, you got a gun in my eye, dude. So the cops start flooding my apartment, and one of them screams out, We got him. We got the Uptown Burglar, Uptown Burglar. That's a name I'll live with for the rest of my life. You see about a dozen other meth addicts and myself, young and old, male and female, black and white, and everything in between because drugs and addiction don't discriminate. But really, any addiction doesn't discriminate. There's more than just one way to be addicted to something in life. You can be addicted to, to work. You can be addicted to anything that takes you away from your goals in life. In fact, I tell people all the time, you want the definition of what addiction is, what addicts do? Here it is. Addicts give up their goals to meet their behaviors. Normal people give up their behaviors. To meet their goals. That is addiction. That's an addiction in a nutshell. When you're willing to give up your goals to meet your behaviors, you are addicted to something. And that day on July 30th, 2008, the Dallas SWAT team zip ties this addict to this meth addict on the floor, throw him in the back of a squad car. They took me down to Dallas County Jail where they processed me in fingerprints, mugshot. They they throw me in a holding cell. And I spent the next 10 months in Dallas County Jail with one single thought going through my head getting out and getting high. Because that's it. I'm an addict, I've given it all away. And that's the only thing I care about is my chance to get out. And I really think I'll get probation out of this deal because I've never had a felony conviction. I'm a white middle-class guy in America. My parents have stepped in. They've got me two paid attorneys. I'm going to go to this trial and I'll get probation. And so there I am at my trial. 10 months later, the date is May 18th, 2009, a date I'll never forget. May 18th, 2009, I'm standing in front of this jury in Dallas, and the jury has just listened to a six-day trial. Six days is a long trial, y'all, for crimes that were non-aggravated, meaning no one was ever home during my burglaries. I never saw any of my victims. They never saw me. No one got physically hurt. No weapons were ever used. These are property crimes around meth. But the trial was six days because the evidence against me was so overwhelming, and I'm guilty of everything they said. And, And my victims testified at this trial, and I learned about my victims in that trial. I didn't just steal people's property when I broke into their homes. I stole their sense of security, y'all. I stole something from them that I don't know if they'll ever get back. And the jury, they went to deliberate that day after a six-day trial for 10 minutes. 10 minutes, y'all. I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, it means they smoked you. I came back into the courtroom, the judge, he hadn't smiled the entire trial. He's grinning from ear to ear. I walk in. I have two. Remember, I have two paid attorneys. My second chair counsel, Karen Lambert. She turns to me. She says, "Brace yourself. This is going to be bad." I'm like, "How bad, Karen?" She said, "While well, you were gone for that brief 10 minutes, the jury sent a note into the judge from the jury room. They wanted to know if they could give you life without parole." Yeah, life without parole. That's a capital punishment. These aren't capital. Cr- no one was killed. I'm like, "Karen, this is crazy." She said, "Get ready." Judge calls the court back in. Bam, bam, bam. Reads the verdict out loud. Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. 65 years is a life sentence in Texas, y'all. That's your entire life. Obviously, I didn't do the entire life sentence inside of a prison in Texas because I'm standing in front of you today in 2022. I did seven years and three months at a maximum security penitentiary in Beaumont, Texas called the Mark Stiles Unit. And Stiles Unit Prison, one of the toughest prisons there is. It's a maximum security level five. It's the highest level security you can go to. And it's one of the toughest prisons in Texas. It's one of the toughest prisons in America. And I can tell you a lot about tough prisons in America because since I got out of prison six and a half years ago, I went back to school and got a master's in criminal justice. And today, today I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown. I teach, get this, I teach a class called Prisons in America at one of the biggest universities in America. How's that for flipping the script, right? I'm the only professor in the world that's ever lived in a prison that teaches a prisons class. So I know about tough prisons and Styles, styles is as hard as it gets, y'all. So it's 2015. I'm doing my time at Styles. And by this point, I've become a model inmate. I've become a coffee bean. And I was doing my time. I was working in the chapel that day as a chapel clerk. The chaplain came in. He was really excited. He said, West, he said, security's looking all over for you. He said, they're calling your name on the radio. He said, the parole board is here to see you. Parole. Parole's a deal they can do to let you out of prison early. You're not done with your sentence, but you're just not serving your sentence in prison. You're on the street. You have a parole officer you report to. Now, look, y'all, I know I'm up for parole. You can't be up for parole in prison and not know it. But do I think I can make parole? No. Heck no, not my first time on life. Not seven years, no one goes home at seven years. I figure I'll probably pull a dime, maybe 15 years on this life sentence, but I'm not going home in seven. But I went down to the parole office anyway. I had a smile on my face, because that's what coffee beans do. We smile everywhere we go, and standing in front of the lady from parole, and she calls me and she says, sit down, Mr. West. And so I sit down and she's got my criminal file open in front of her, it's about this thick. She flips through the pages of this file for about 20 seconds. She closes the file up and she pushes it away. She said, Mr. West, I came here today to ask you one question for this parole hearing. One question test, y'all. She said, the answer to my question is not in the file about the guy I'm reading about that committed those crimes. She said, we don't see a lot of people like Damon West come through the prison system because you had it all. You had everything, every advantage, every privilege, and every opportunity. She said, you are the definition of a privileged person. But she said, you blew through all of your privilege. You became a drug addict. You became a criminal. You became a thief. And she said, a jury in Dallas gave you life in prison for the things you did. She said, but instead of letting that license define you, she said, you came to this prison, this prison, and you changed yourself. There can be no doubt about that. She said, but what got our attention is you didn't just change yourself while you were here. You changed the entire prison. The entire prison changed around you. One man did all this. She said, so my question for you is this. She said, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, I want you to tell me what that would be, but give me it in just one word. Go. Boy, I breathed out and relaxed. That's an easy question for a coffee bean to answer. And I fired her answer back at her real quick and I was like, ma'am, useful. I just wanna be useful. Isn't that what we all wanna be, right? We just wanna be useful. I said, I just wanna be useful, ma'am. And I can be useful in this prison or I can be useful in that free world finding more coffee beans. And on November 16th, 2015, I walked out of a Texas prison. I'm not necessarily free. I'm not a free man because I'm on parole. I got a little time left on parole. I'm on parole in the state of Texas until the year 2073. Yeah, I got a little time left on my supervised release. I do. I mean, it's but I'm optimistic. I'll be 98 when I get off. Seriously, if I make it that far, and Mike knows. I mean, to, to come here, he had to send a, an email to my parole officer, basically saying where I was going. I had to get permission to leave the state of Texas. But I'm not worried about parole, y'all. Parole? I'm a coffee bee. I'm not worried about parole. Man, the only way I would go back to prison is when I go to prison is voluntarily, share this story with the men and women there to bring them hope on their journey. And I walk back out the front gate of all my prisons today. So, before I tell you this story about this coffee bean thing, let me tell you my story. Let me give you a little backstory for the guy in front of you today. I grew up in this little town called Port Arthur, Texas. Port Arthur's down in Southeast Texas, down where Louisiana, Texas meet on the Gulf Coast. It's a little blue collar town, a little refinery town. It's a predominantly black town. I grew up being one of the only white kids at slumber parties, birthday parties, sports, you name it. It was a giant melting pot of a city that I was so fortunate to grow up came from great parents. My mom and my dad just celebrated 54 years of being married last month, y'all. I didn't come from a broken home. God was at the center of everything in our home. And my dad, my mom was a sports writer. I mean, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a sports writer. Let me tell you what my dad did. 1971, my dad was the first sports writer in that part of Texas to put a black athlete on the front page of a sports page. 1971 It's the first time this ever happened down in that part of Texas. And when my dad put a black guy on the cover of the sports page, people down there lost their minds, man. They broke his windows out. They slid his tires. They him a bunch of hate mail. Now, growing up, when I was old enough to read and comprehend, my dad went up in the attic one day and he came down with this big box, all these envelopes in it. It was all the hate mail. He set me down on the couch and I started reading. He made me read every one of those letters of hate mail, every nasty negative word that people said about my father and my mother because my dad put a black guy on the cover of sports. But you know what my dad told me back then? Lesson I would never forget. He said, Damon, he said, I want you to see what it looks like to take a stand and do the right thing. Because he said, sometimes taking a stand and doing the right thing means you're going to stand alone. But he said, it's all always okay to stand alone as long as you stand on the right side of history. What a great lesson I was going to need 25 years later when I went to prison. So I had a great family, y'all, but I got into substance abuse at a young age. When I was 10, I started getting my dad's beer in the fridge. I liked the effects of the chemicals on my body, and I took it to smoking pot when I was 12. I had a lot of character issues. I skipped school, but y'all, I could throw a football. And this is Texas. We have this thing called Texas high school football. It's like a religion in my home state, y'all. And when the stuff you see on TV is real. People worship on Friday nights at those stadiums, and I was the man. I was a three-year starting quarterback. quarterback for a 5A school. The biggest division there is. Scholarship to play division one college football at the University of North Texas. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was the starting quarterback for a division one team in America. Man, I thought I had arrived. My head was this big, y'all. But life has a way of giving you these days that I call fork in the road days. Fork in the roads look like this. Life is going to knock you down someday so hard that when you get back up and you dust yourself off, the world's going to look different for you because you got hit so hard. But you're going to make a choice on those days and it's going to be pivotal. You're going to make the right choice and go the right way the wrong choice and go the wrong direction. September 21st, 1996 was one of my fork in the roads. I'm gonna tell you about fork in the road that day. We're playing against Texas A&M, beautiful Saturday in College Station, Texas. I'm 20 years old, driving my team down the field in the first series. Third play of this game, I go down. Career and an injury. Never played college football again. And when I got up to this fork in the road in life, football was gone and my identity was gone with it. Because I made the mistake so many people make that I see in life. I wrapped my identity up into something external. You can't do that. Your identity doesn't come from something external. It comes from within. And if your identity doesn't come from within, that means it can be taken away from you and then you are lost. And so when I get up to this fork and road in life, my identity's gone, I make a lot of wrong choices. I get into hardcore drugs, cocaine, ecstasy pills, but I'm a functional addict. I graduated college in 1999, move off to Washington, DC. I got a job working in the United States Congress. After that, I worked for a guy running for president of the United States. 2004, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a stockbroker in Dallas when I came up to another big fork and road in life. So it's 2004, I pass out of sleep at work. This other broker comes up, he sees me sleeping. He waits Wakes me up. He's visibly shaking. He's like, "Damon, wake up, man." He said, "You cannot sleep on this job." He said, "The stock markets are open. You're messing with people's money." He said, "They're gonna fire you if they catch you sleeping here." He said, "Come on down to the parking garage with me. I got something's gonna pick you up." So I go down to the parking garage with this other broker that day. And when we get into his car, he hands me this glass pipe with these crystal rocks in it. I've never seen a glass pipe before, y'all. And I mean, I, mean, I freak out on this guy. I mean, what is that? He said, "Damon, just relax." He said, "It's crystal meth." He said, "You're gonna love this stuff, y'all." Truer words have never been spoken because I did. I fell in love with that drug that day, and I'm an addict, y'all. And when I touched the, touched the drug a crystal meth, instantly hooked just like that. And I could not give everything away fast enough for that drug because remember, that's what addicts do. We give it away. You don't have to steal from an addict. An addict will give the important things away. My job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, my tethering to God. Within 18 months of the first hit of that pipe, I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets, y'all. I'm homeless, living in dope houses, sleeping in alleyways, breaking into cars, I'm breaking into storage units. Then eventually I start breaking into people's houses. These burglaries. This is a very serious crime, the crime of burglary. Like I said, I didn't and just steal people's property. I stole their sense of security. Three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, and the Dallas SWAT team finally catches me, and they put an end to the Uptown Burgers. July 30th, 2008, the day that I wasn't just arrested, the day that I was rescued, I feel like these guys were angels that came in and plucked me out of a situation I couldn't get myself out of. But I assure you, on July 30th, 2008, I did not feel rescued that day. Let's go back to that day. I'm in the holding cell and being processed in a Dallas County Jail. 24 hours goes by, they finally put me in general population, and they put me in the worst pod they could find. The most dangerous and aggravated offenders in there because they're mad at me, y'all. I've been terrorizing Dallas for three years. So, after 24 hours in general population, I'm already in my first fight over a breakfast tray. I'm scared to death. All I want to do is talk to my mom and my dad. So, I get on the phone in the day room and I call home to Port Arthur, six hours away. My father answers the phone. Now, my dad's from an older generation of men. I've never seen my dad cry, but man, I heard him cry that one time when I called home. He is screaming and crying on the phone. He sounds like a wounded animal. Damon, how we go so wrong, man. How we mess up so bad. What could we have done different? So, he's crying and now I'm crying because I broke my dad. So, my mom, gets on the phone. Now, my mom is a nurse. She's used to traumatic situations. She's, she can compartmentalize pain really well. And so she said, baby, listen, your father can't talk right now. I've never seen him like this before in my life, but we need to talk. we got to have a serious conversation. She said, there's some things you need to know. She said, you need to first understand that we love you unconditionally. Unconditionally. She said, there's nothing you could do, Damon, to make us not love you. She said, that was a deal we made with God when he loaned you to us. She said, do you understand what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, mom, I got it. You love me unconditionally. And she said, that's good, baby, because we just gave you back to God. She said, there's nothing we can do for you more, Damon. She said, you are now a captive audience to God, and you better start listening. She told me what my bond was. My bond was $1.4 million at this point. $1.4 million. I didn't know anybody else in Dallas County. Murderers didn't get $1.4 million, but they were sending a direct message to me. We're taking you to trial, Damon West. And they did. Ten months later, I go to my trial. Ten minutes, the jury comes back with their sentence, life. And as soon as the judge hits the gavels down, the court's over. The sheriff and the bailiff are on me. They're handcuffing me. They're dragging me out of the courtroom. Room. I lock eyes to my mom on the way out of the courtroom. I'm like, mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They whisked me out of there. They put me in this little side room. It's got a bulletproof glass. They told me to wait. A few minutes later, my mom and my dad are being escorted in on the other side of that glass. They've decided to give my parents one last visit with me before I go to prison. They feel sorry for my parents because I just got life. My dad can't talk. He's in stunned disbelief that his son, with all this promise in life, just got a life sentence in prison. So my mom does all the talking that day. She said, baby, she said, debts in life demand to be paid. And you just got hit with with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did everything they said you did, that trial, Damon. So you're gonna have to go and pay that debt to society. You owe Texas that debt, but you owe your father and I a debt too. She said, we gave you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you wanted to be in life. And that's how you just repaid us. What we saw in that courtroom, She said, that's not gonna work. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of the city, gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're gonna pay to us. When you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs, because you're scared because now you're the minority in there. It's not gonna work. She said, you were never raised to be a racist. You're not gonna start now. She said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. Y'all, if I didn't have this jacket on, I'd show you. I was in the joint for almost 10 years. No tattoo, maximum skill level five. These guys want to tattoo Every inch of your body in the joint, I got no tattoos. And, and, and the guys in prison, man, they'd hit me up all the time. Wes, let me put a tattoo on you, man. i tell them the same thing. Dude, I can't do it, dude. My mom said no. <laughs> real talk. Because she did. No, it's real. It really happened. Mm. Let me tell you what she said next. She said, no game, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised. Or don't come back at all. I was floored. She said, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? It's like, yeah, mom, I got it. I got it. But what do I know about prison? You know, I'm a white middle-class guy in America, man. I don't know anybody that's been to prison before. So I get back to my pod in Dallas County Jail, and I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talked to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they all said the same thing. You got to get into a gang, Wes. You won't survive this without a gang. They said the gang would be my family now. The gang was going to love me. The gang was going to protect. Get into a gang, Wes. But there was this one guy that was so different in Dallas County Jail—this older black man. Named Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, well, he's what you call a career criminal. The guy's been in and out of prison, almost like four or five times. But he's the most positive guy I've ever met in my life, man. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere he went. You couldn't knock the smile off of Mr. Jackson's face. And every morning, every single morning, this old man would come up to my cell, to my bunk, and he picked me up like a ray of sunshine in that dark place with his positive energy. So one morning, Mr. Jackson comes up. He got a cup of coffee in his hands and a smile on his face. He comes up to my bunk. He says, "West." He said, "I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies. Talk about you got to get into a game." He said, "Man, listen." These fools, you want to keep that promise you made to your mom and your dad? Let me tell you what prison is really going to be like. So, he said, The first thing you need to understand about this place called prison, he said, Prison is all about race. So he said, When you walk in the door of the life sentence building, the white gangs get the first dips on you because you're white. He said, The Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods, he's naming all the white gangs. He said, You have to fight all these guys off if you want to be independent from them. He said, If you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what I learned about. About fear. I learned that fear is a liar. I learned that fear makes you see things that aren't there. I learned that fear makes you believe things that aren't even real. In fact, I'd tell you that fear isn't real. Danger is real. Dangers are very real. You've got to respect danger. Fear is how you perceive the situation. It's like an emotion you're feeling about something you're going through, and it's not real. Danger is real. Fear is a feeling. You have to fight through that. And that's what Jax is telling me. Don't give in to this thing called fear, but get ready because there's more danger around the corner. Because if you get done with the white gangs, now the black gangs are coming after you. They got a free pass on you because the white gangs have just sent them to you. He said the Crips, the Bloods, the gangster disciples, the Mandingo warriors, they're going to be happy to tee off on this independent white guy that will not get with his own race, his own kind. He said, but if you survive all this and you can survive all this, you will earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone. He told me something about fighting and it's something I've shared with every audience I've ever spoken to. because it's such a tremendous lesson. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. That was a huge lesson in life for me. Big distinction too, because that tells you that some days you're going to win and some days you're going to lose. And it is okay to lose, y'all. It's not something you should aspire to, but everybody loses sometimes. You get knocked down. But he said, get back up. Now, when he's telling me this back in 2009, man, I'm looking back at this guy like a deer in headlights, all this violence and terror I'm about to walk into. That's when he's like, West. he said, let me break it down for you another way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put into this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, I'm going to put three things in this pot of boiling water and watch how they change a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. Here's where I first heard the story of the coffee. In the summer of 2009 in Dallas County Jail. So he said, first things first, West. If I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I like, Mr. Jackson, a carrot's gonna turn soft to boiling water. He said, that's right, West. He said, the carrot went in the water hard, but the water of the prison turned that hard carrot soft mushy and weak. He said the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He may got killed. You don't want to be the carrot inside this prison. He said, what about the egg, Wes? What happened to the egg in the pot of boiling water we call prison? And I'm like, Mr. Jackson, the egg is going to turn hard, man, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right, Wes. He said the egg has a shell that's going to protect it physically. But on the inside of that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart... <coughs> becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, now you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love in that place, you've become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. Then he asked me, he said, what about the coffee bean, West? What happened to the coffee bean in the pot of boiling water we call prison? And I didn't have an answer for Mr. Jackson that day because I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. And that's when Mr. Jackson, a man that looked nothing like me, didn't come from the same America I came from didn't believe the same things I believed in life. This is a black Muslim man from the streets of Dallas, Texas, y'all. I'm a white Catholic guy from a little bitty town called Port Arthur, Texas, but this man's so different than me. shared with me one of the most important and transformational messages I've ever received in my life. And the moral to that is this, if you ever shut yourself off to people because of their differences, different race, different gender, ethnicities, different religions, different sexual orientations, if you close yourself off to people because of their differences, well, you're gonna miss some of the most important lessons and some of the best friendships in this life. You know, in my life, God, I, I tell people this all the time, God never just reached his hand out on my head and said, hey Damon, you're healed. That's not the way it happened in my life. You know what God did in my life? Put people in my life. When I was younger, these people looked like parents. They looked like teachers, they looked like coaches. There were people in the community of Port Arthur that helped raise me because the whole community raised me. And when I got older, they took on the forms of different people. One of those people put in my life was a black Muslim man in Dallas County jail. Now imagine if I would had gone through life with the perspective that if you don't look like me or come from the same background as me, you don't have the message that I need to listen to. This is a guy with a high school education. Share with me me one of the most important transformational messages I've ever received. And if I don't receive that message, I'm not here today. Because Mr. Jackson told me that day, he said, if I put a coffee bean in that same pot of warm water we call prison, he said, now, now you gotta change the name of that water to coffee. Because he said, the coffee bean, Wes, the smallest of the three things, he said, small like you, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power is inside the coffee bean. He said, just like the power is inside of you. And he said, everything else is changed by the water in life. Carrots are changed by the water. Eggs are changed by the water. He said, not coffee beans. Coffee beans change the water. He said, everybody in life, we all put out energy, negative or positive energy. And whatever kind of energy we put out, we attract back. This is the law of attraction, y'all, and it works. He's telling me, he said, man, you want to walk around prison all the time with a mean look on your face? You want to look hard for those other guys? He said, what you'll do is your negative energy is going to attract the most violent and dangerous men to your world because your negative energy is going to attract the most negative energy in there. He said, well, you're going to the life sentence building, that's a dangerous, even deadly endeavor to attract these men to you. He said, but conversely, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you Those guys know that I get to you. No matter what they do, they can't break you, Damon West. He said, you're going to change prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they'll find you because of the positive energy you're putting out. And the last thing Mr. Jackson said to me, the last four words this man ever said to me, and I've never been able to find him in my life, but the last four words I ever heard from Mr. Jackson on the way out of that door, he said, West, go out and go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean. Four words that changed my life. Because if this old man would shoot me straight, that meant the power was in me. And that changed everything for me. That meant the power wasn't in the hands of the criminal justice system, wasn't in the, hands of the guards, wasn't in the hands of the inmates around me. No matter what they did, the power's inside me. And if I kept that power inside me, it didn't matter what adversity I faced. So it didn't matter what prison I walked into because there's more than one way to be in prison, by the way. Physical prison is just one. Mental, spiritual, emotional prisons. Those are real prisons to get out of. But whatever prison I have to go into in life, if the power's inside me, I won't just survive. I'll thrive in that prison. And I got my chance to find out, y'all. That's where the power of the story comes in. Because I didn't just test this coffee bean theory out in some difficult situation that happened to me one day in a traffic jam. I tested this out at a maximum security level five penitentiary. man I go all over the world speaking to people and you know what people tell me all the time their biggest fear is going to prison going to prison is a real fear you know why it's dangerous it's a very dangerous place and prison was dangerous it was scary the first two weeks of prison fought the white gangs after that they backed off sent the black gangs in just like Mr. Jackson said they would six weeks into prison I'm still fighting the black gangs and I decide the only thing I'm not using is my athletic ability and I go to the record. One day, six weeks into prison, I remember this coach that I had in college. We gave a, he gave a speech to us in the mid '90s, and he said this one sentence that stuck with me. It was 20 letters and 10 words. It was it was the most powerful sentence I had ever heard because it was an action statement. He said, "If it is to be, it is up to me." If it is to be, it is up to me. 20 letters, 10 words. And I said that in my cell, in that mirror in my cell that morning, and I went to the rec yard, the most segregated place in the life sentence building. Every sport was segregated by race, y'all. The same volleyball court, whites and Hispanics only. The handball court, all the races could play handball. But if you wanted to play doubles and partner up with somebody, it had to be the same skin color as you. Same race. You can't mix the races out there. The weight stack was the same thing. Everybody wants to lift weights. And pr- Just like you see in the movies, everybody wants to push out iron. And all the races got to lift weights. But if you wanted someone to work out with you, someone to spot you, they that- had To be the same skin color as you. Passed all those sports up that day, six weeks into prison. I headed straight to the basketball court. Who do y'all think runs the basketball court? The brothers, and they run it, man. They run it. No white boys are allowed in the basketball court either. But I grew up in Port Arthur, Texas, y'all. I grew up around blacks all my life. I was the only white boy in the basketball court all my life growing up. But no white guys are allowed in that court. But I got myself in a basketball game that day. And for six straight days I go out there and play basketball with these guys. And it's not five on five, it's nine on one, y'all. It's the most brutal basketball I've ever played in my life. Oh yeah. My own teammates don't want me out there but I'm out there trying to earn some respect and I'm taking it from every angle and I'm giving it back when I can. I learned two things about adversity that week that have stuck with me forever. I learned that adversity is never as bad as I think it's gonna be. And I'm always capable of way more than I think I am. Because you know what I do as a human being? I can let overthinking get in the way of overcoming so many times. And I bet some of you can too. Because the way we think is so important. The way we think about the obstacles in front of us. That week, going out there at Rec Yard on Monday was so different than on Saturday. The last day that I had to go out there and play basketball with those guys to earn that respect. By the Saturday, I was looking forward to it. Even though I knew it was going to be brutal, but I was looking forward to it because I got a little more confident every day. Because I was facing that adversity. And like Ed says on the other side of the adversity, best version yourself. After one week of playing basketball at these guys. These guys told me, you know what, West, You've earned it. You don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time in your prison. You're good with us. Go on. You're good. So two months into prison, the violence is finally over. And I'm telling y'all, I probably got three dozen fights and I lost 75% of these fights, but it's over, man. No more threat to my physical safety, but I got a bigger problem in my hands than my physical safety. My problem is internal. I'm becoming the egg. I don't want to be the egg, but I don't know how to be a coffee bean in a place like prison. It's the hottest spot of bourbon water there is, y'all. And, I, and I'm mad. I'm mad at everybody. It's, I'm just an angry person at this point. I'm mad at Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson gives me this fable about this, carrot, this egg the coffee bean, but he didn't tell me how to be a coffee bean. One of the last conversations I had with Jackson in Dallas County Jail, man, I asked this guy, I said, man, what am I going to find more of when I get to this place called prison? And he fired back without hesitation. He said, eggs, Wes, I'm telling you eggs. He said, the egg is the natural evolution of any human being inside of any difficult situation. And you're going into one of the most difficult there is. And here's the truth, Wes, you're going to probably become the egg too. He was right. Two months into prison, I was becoming the egg. Didn't want to be the egg. I was having a conversation in my cell one night with my cellmate, the first cellmate I had, this guy named Carlos. And if you look at my social media pages, I visited Carlos in prison about a month ago. He's gonna be in there a long time, man. Good guy, a little five foot four, little Hispanic guy, a little bank robber from San Antonio. served 99 years for a bunch of bank jobs. Good guy, though. I mean, but you, if you live with the lifers, you have to, you got to change your mind about what a good guy and a bad guy is, man, because yeah, this is a whole different world, man. I could have a child molester, or a rapist. I got a bank robber. I'm excited about my bank robber, right? So, oh yeah, Carlos is a real, real smart. Too so, I'm, I'm telling. I've got the bottom bunk, he's got the top bunk, little 10 by 12 cell. So. I'm telling Carlos the story of the, the coffee bean. I'm like, Carlos, this dude in county told me the story about this coffee bean, but I can't figure this out, man. I need your help. So, when I got done telling Carlos the story of the coffee bean, Carlos comes flying down to the top bunk. A little bit, if you look at this picture, he's a little bitty guy, a little animated little guy. He's like, Oh my god, he said, Wes, I love the story of the coffee bean. He said, But you're no coffee bean, and you're never going to be a coffee bean. I'm an egg. I got mad. Well, I got up in Carlos's face. I'm like, What do you mean? I can't be a coffee. I mean, who are you? The coffee bean man, why can't I be a coffee bean, you know <laughs> I'll never forget what he said he said because you have stinking thinking he said your thinking is all off remember your thinking is everything right he said your thoughts control your actions and right now your thoughts he said your problem is the way you see the obstacle in front of you this was so important y'all he said your problem is you look at prison you look at this prison sentence as a punishment This is your punishment. This is your opportunity. And I look at him like, what do you mean opportunity? I mean, think about where I'm sitting, y'all. I'm in a maximum security, level five penitentiary. For the last two months, I just fought for my life. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. I don't know if I'm ever going home. This little bank robber is telling me, this is the greatest thing to happen to you. Like, what are you talking about, Carlos? He said, this is your opportunity, Wes, to work on yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to become the best version of yourself possible. And it lights out that night when the guard got done walking by counting our cell. He peeked his head down from the top bunk. He said, psst. West, what are you prepared to do tomorrow with your opportunity? This dude refused to call prison a punishment and I get to live in the cell with it. I get to live in the cell with this guy. So the next morning I woke up and my life changed because I did that one thing that is so pivotal in anybody's life that wants to change the situation they're in. I took one small step of action into a new life and that's what's required of everybody you want to change the world you want to change your your world around you the hopes the goals the dreams you have for yourself for your family for your career you have to take action and no one else can do it for you that's the thing no one's coming to wake you up no one's coming to do it for you you have to be willing to put in the work and we live in this crazy world right now of instant gratification we want everything now 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 and i'm the same way social media says now no the real world does not work that way. That wall outside doesn't work that way. Because the only path forward to get to where you want to go in life is through things like hard work, dedication, commitment, patience, consistency, a little bit of luck on the way. That wall outside from 1975 on shows the hard work, commitment, patience, dedication, consistency. I bet a little bit of luck on the way built Team Ziggler, but we're here, right? That's how you get to where you want to go in life. It's not going to happen overnight. Don't worry about the results. You know why? Because results take time to measure. 1975, 47 years later, results take time to measure. In prison, I got up every day. Days became weeks, weeks became months, and months became years. But I finally cracked the code. I finally figured out how to be a coffee bean in the biggest pot of warm water there is. I'm going to tell you how I did it today. First rule about being a coffee bean. Is about having positive body language everywhere you go. Smile. Your smile is powerful and it is so important because when people see you smile, they smile back. You change the energy in every room you go into, either for the better or for the worse. Mr. Jackson told me in county jail, he said you will either infect the rooms you go into with your negative energy or you're going to affect a room with your positive energy. Infect Versus effect, are you the disease or are you the cure? And the choice is yours every day. And it starts with your smile. Your smile is powerful, y'all. When that lady from parole, she said, you changed this entire maximum security prison around you. Yes, bam! I did it with a smile. I came in smiling and I walked out smiling that place. And everywhere I went, the energy changed in every pot I lived in. You know, your smile is not just important for the people. Your smile releases chemicals in your brains. These endorphins, these serotonins, these things that make you feel good, those are released when your your smile can trigger all this stuff. Y'all, and this stuff, you don't have to be laughing in a conversation. You can do this by yourself. I used to sit in my cell and just smile and make myself smile. And then I walk out of my cell and now I'm beaming. That's how I did it. I wasn't just a naturally happy person in prison. I had to do that, but I flooded my body with these serotonin. I did it the other day. I was on a flight from Miami to Houston. Two and a half hour flight. We take off, wheels go up, the little baby behind me, a little toddler behind me. Wow, wow. Starts crying. I'm like, okay, the kid's ears are popping. That's normal. No, no, it wasn't normal. The kid cried the entire flight. Two and a half hours. I mean, this kid won't. I mean, it's his four years. He had to be hurting, right? But I'm on a plane. I can't change seats. I don't have a parachute. I can't go anywhere. I don't even have my airpods. So I just sit in my seat. I start smiling. The stewardess walked by. She said, Sir, are you okay? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm great. I'm good. Because I wasn't on that it anymore. I was in a happy, I, my brain just flooded with these endorphins, but I learned that inside of a maximum security prison. You have the power to do that anywhere you are. Smile, y'all. Your smile's powerful. Second rule about being a coffee bean, working out of yourself every day in three areas. Spiritually, mentally, and physically. You want to be a human being? You want to be a coffee bean? You have to work out on all three. You have to be a well-rounded individual. People hear the word workout, they think about physical. No, it's spiritual and mental too. People ask me all the time, what's your spiritual workout? I'm going to give you my spiritual workout. I'm going to tell you what it is. And Whatever religion you are, you can plug this prayer into your faith too. In the morning, I get up and I say the same prayer I've been praying since I got into a program recovery in prison and I learned how to pray. I get up in the morning, I ask God for two things. I say, hey God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you and let me recognize that when I see it. Because I don't want to miss that. Amen. That's it. That's all I ask God. I ask God for the opportunity to be useful and to serve every day and that's it. I go around looking for ways that I'm needed in this world. That's my spiritual workout, y'all. That's what keeps me sober and that's what keeps me useful. My mental workout, your mental workout is every book you read. It's every video you watch. It's the websites you go to, it's your social media feeds, it's who you're following, it's what they're posting, it's what you're posting on social media, it's what you watch for TV in your home. Are you watching something that calls itself news, but is people screaming at each other, telling you to fear everybody around you? It's not news. That's negative entertainment. And it is poisoning you, it's poisoning your family. I don't care if it comes from the left or the right. Turn it off, it is poisoning, you, poisoning this country, this beautiful country that we live in, the United States of America, the greatest country in the history of the world, and we are consuming ourselves from the inside with hate. Hate corrodes the container it is contained in it. Right now, this country is bottled up with hate, that comes in through those television sets and our phones. Change the programming in your in your life, in your house. Don't let your kids watch it. You don't watch it. It's negative entertainment. Put something positive on, y'all. The only thing greater than this country we live in right now is her potential. The only thing greater than America is her potential. And right now, we are consumed with hate that comes to us in the form of television and social media. Change that stuff. Change the channel, y'all. You are what you eat. It's not just about food. It's everything you put this big brain of yours up here. And you will look like and act like on the outside what you feed this big thing on the inside inside to do the right stuff. Physical, take care of yourself. You got one body in this life, eat the right foods, get enough rest, get a little exercise in every day. Your body carries your soul. That's why it's so important. You have nothing else to carry your soul around this earth. Take care of that body. Third rule about being a coffee bean, the secret to life. The secret to life, I learned in a maximum security prison, the secret to life is servant leadership. Servant leadership is helping other people reach their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station in life because when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best and that's what we're all called to do. That's what we're all, everybody in this room is called to serve other, you are supposed to look for ways to serve other people every day and everybody in this room, you have this power inside you, power you can't even imagine. Good story about that from one of my favorite people, Mr. Rogers. Anybody else watch Mr. Rogers growing up? Come on, come on. Mike, I know you're the same age as me almost. I know you watch Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, before he was Mr. Rogers, this children's television show guy. He was a Presbyterian minister in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's told a story about what happened one day. He said, went to a church service one Sunday. They had a substitute preacher came, come in. He said he sat to this substitute preacher sermon, and at the end of this guy's sermon, Mr. Rogers thought to himself, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said, this is the worst preacher I've ever seen. People were falling asleep, nodding off. Just as Mr. Rogers was about to turn to this little old lady that was sitting next to him to tell her how terrible this guy was, he stopped. He bit his tongue because the little old lady that was sitting next to him, she was bawling and crying and shaking and she turned to Mr. Rogers and she said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. She said, it was the absolute right thing I need to hear at the absolute right time of my life. And she said, I'll never forget where I was this day that I heard this beautiful sermon. Mr. Rogers was floored because clearly the rest of the congregation did not agree with this woman. He didn't agree with this woman, but he couldn't deny what he could see. This woman was profoundly impacted by this man up there. Maybe the only person in the congregation that was impacted like that, but he got to see the one person. That's when he realized everybody, everybody, this terrible preacher had the power to impact her. Then We all have the power inside of us to impact at least one human life in, in this world. But he learned another very important lesson that day. He learned that while he was coming in judgment, that little old lady, she was coming in need in need. Right now, at this time in American history, so many of our brothers and sisters are coming in need of something. What are you going to do today to meet the needs of another human being? The three hardest words for a person to say to another person, I need help. I need help. But don't we all need help? We all need everybody's struggles in life. Everybody you come in contact with is struggling with something that you have no idea about, can't even imagine. That's why it's so important for you to be kind and smile and serve. Everyone around you. That's the secret to life. Fourth rule about being a coffee bean is understanding the things you have control over and the things you have zero control over. And the list is easy. There are only four things you have control over in life. Took me going to prison, being stripped of everything, especially my ego and my pride, to learn that I control four things. Same four things you control. You control what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do your actions, what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. And if it's not one of those four things, you don't have any control over it. What I'm telling you is the world that goes on around you, you don't control this world around you. You control the world within you, between your ears. That's the world that you control. And when we spend our time, our time, man, time is the most precious resource you have. And once this stuff is gone, it is gone for good. Take it from a guy that did almost 10 years of time and spent so many years on drugs and and alcohol. And your time is precious, y'all. All the money in the world won't buy one more second of time. When we spend our time, we waste our time trying to change things we have no control over, that stuff we're never going to get back. Don't waste your time on things you don't have control over. And here's another warning. Don't allow a person, a group, a political party to get inside your head and control one of those four things. Because once you've done that, you've become a prisoner in your own mind. And you can take this from the guy that did almost 10 years in a maximum security level 5 or the guy that teaches about prisons now. The hardest place to do time is the prison in your mind. I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars, barbed wire, and concrete. More people are imprisoned by their thoughts and things then all the people locked up in prisons all over the world take that to the bank and the last rule about being a coffee bean is that your past does not define you I don't care what you've done in your past where you've been what side of the tracks you grew up on what has happened in your past is in your past it's an event it has happened it's not you your past is your lesson you learn from it you can teach other people with it. There is a reason why your windshield is bigger than your rear view mirror. Ever thought about that? You need a lot more space to look forward driving that car than you do to look back. You can't drive the car looking out the rearview mirror. Because if you did that, you'd hit everything on the road in front of you in sight. The same exact thing happens in life when we live in our past. Our past good things we've done, past bad things we've done. Get out of the rearview mirror like that past is over. You can't change the past, but you can certainly affect your present and your future. And we don't want our present and our future to be a bunch of wrecks. Get out of the rearview mirror, face that windshield. Your past is your lesson. The present today is a gift and the future is your motivation. Here's the part about motivation. Believe in yourself. Growth is going to follow your belief. People are going to believe in you after they see you believe in yourself and you invest in yourself. Those hopes, those goals, those dreams go after those things. But you have to be willing to put in the work. That's the motivation. Put in the work every single day. And you may not see results because results, remember, take time to measure. One last story about that but tell you a story about a time in my life about putting in the work. It was January 12th, 2017. I'd been out of prison for 14 months at this point. I work in this law firm in Beaumont, Texas. And by all measurements, working at a law firm after you get out of prison is a great life. Most people will never realize that after they get out of a prison. But I've got this story that I want to share with college football programs because I think my story will resonate with college football players because I've been where they've been. But I don't have any access to college football coaches. I don't know any college coaches. I took a snap 20 years ago. No one knows who I am. A buddy of mine calls me on January 12th. 12th 2017. I live in Beaumont 90 miles from Houston. He's in Houston at the time. And he works for KHOU, the media station there. He says, Damon, tonight is the Bear Bryant coach of the year award. He said, the eight best coaches in college football are going to be in this room in Houston, Texas, the Toyota Center. He said, someone didn't show up for work. I've got an extra press pass. Do you want to go? You better want to go, man. I'm going to be there. So I put on the best hand-me-down suit. I had two hand-me-down suits at the time. Put on the best hand-me-down suit I had. Got in my car. I drove the hour and a half from Beaumont to Houston. He sneaks me in the Toyota Center, gives me a press pass. He said, I'm on my own. He's going to work, right? So there I am in this room. all the best coaches in America there, USC, Wisconsin. Remember I told you it took me five years to get in Wisconsin? Paul Chris was there that night. USC, Wisconsin, P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck was in that room that night. I met P.J. that night. And I get to meet all these coaches, and I give them my elevator pitch, my terrible little elevator pitch that I've been practicing for an hour and a half. If this day ever came, and my hands are sweaty, and it's terrible. And every coach I meet that night, they slam the door in my face. And they're not rude about it, y'all, but they're not giving me their numbers. They're not giving me a chance for me to follow up or any contact. In one hour, one hour, I've been told no seven time. That's a no every eight minutes. I've been told no seven times with eight coaches there. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center. I'm licking my wounds. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And you know what the voice in my head says? Go home. It's over. You failed. That last coach is going to tell you no, like the rest of the coaches have told you no. Go home now. You got an hour and a half drive. And the last coach is the hardest guy to get to in the room. His team had just beat Alabama two nights before for the national championship. Everybody wants a piece of this man's time. But you know what I quit doing a long time ago? Listening to myself. I don't listen to myself. Don't listen to yourself because you you can you can hear all kinds of crazy things in your head that aren't even true. I quit listening to myself a long time ago and I talk to myself. And I'm over there in the corner, corner this, and I'm pumping myself up and I'm talking to myself, no, man, you're not going anywhere. You survived prison. You survived way worse than this. That guy's telling you no to your face and then you go home. So I stalk Dabo Swinney around that room that night. And I'm telling you, I look like a crazy person. I'm hiding behind fake plans. Every conversation he has, he sees me, I see him. I know he sees Like, Who's this crazy person? They does he want to autograph what? So I'm following this guy around all night and I finally get Dabo. I mean, I, get in Dabo, I got Dabo up against the wall. He, he's trying to get away. I'm going to like this, you know. That's what this conversation looks like. So for a minute, I've got Dabo there and I'm giving the best stuff I have. And after that one minute I take a breath, he's like, dude, you got a card on you or something. So I gave him my card. He snatches it. He can't get away from me fast enough. Body language terrible. That is a no. But I felt okay about that last no that night. You know why? I left it all in the field. And that's what we tell people in life when we're kids. We forget these lessons we learned in places like the locker room. We're in a locker room right now. We learn these lessons that you give it your best effort. And sometimes you're gonna come up short, but as long as you went down trying, you did everything you could, that's okay. You don't have to win on your fight, but you have to fight all your fights. That's what Mr. Jackson said. If you're in sales, you knock on every door. You make every call. And after you do all that, then you can go home. So I did. I went home that night and slept like a baby. I forgot all about that night, honestly y'all, until four months later. When I'm at my desk at work at the law firm, I get an email and the email is from a guy named Mike Dooley who's the Director of Football Operations at University of Clemson. He says, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you at an show in Houston. He would love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Dude, I've got every first open. I got nothing going on in my life this time, man. I was ready to roll right then in April, but I had to wait till August. So August 1st, 2017, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers, the defending national champions of college football. And when I got done with my presentation that night, Dabo's got me up against the wall on the team. If you've ever seen Dabo, Dabo's a really high energy guy, too. Dabo's in my face now. He's like, Oh my god, he said, Damn it, I've never never seen my players respond like that to a speaker. I've never heard a story like that before. He said, Man, have you been to Alabama yet? I'm like, No, Dabo, I've been to Clemson, dude. I hadn't been anywhere, dude. What does he not know about this, right? I'm like, No, I've been to Clemson. Dabo I hadn't been anywhere. He said, Man, he said, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room, told him I was watching. And when I landed in Houston the next morning for my trip to Clemson and then turned my phone on. I had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at the University of Alabama. He said, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. August 21st, 7.30 uh, p.m., you are on. Just like that, Dabo Sweeney has kicked in the door to college football. And every coach starts calling Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, Michigan State. It wasn't Mel Tucker at the time. It was uh, D'Antoni Martin, he had Mark D'Antoni. All these coaches are calling my phone, and they're all telling me the same thing, man. When can you come talk to my team? Come talk to my team. So there I am, all these doors of college. I'm in college football now, sharing my story. Built magic happened one year after my presentation. It was Augustine. I was at my desk at work firm. I don't work at the law firm y'all. So I was at my desk at the law firm, and my phone rings on the other end of my phone is this guy named John Gordon. John Gordon, the energy bus guy, the guy I follow on Twitter every day for inspiration. The guy that sold five million. Yeah, this is a huge motivational the guy that I go to for my inspiration. Every day is on my phone, and I'm like, man, John, dude, this is incredible. I know who you are you know who i am he said dabbo sweeney he said i just got done talking to the clemson football Club in the office to tell you because you have changed the cl- clemson's got with the best culture of any sports team or corporation or anything i've ever been i've never seen anything like clemson before you changed the culture there the team motto at clemson is be a coffee bean he said they got shirts at clemson that say be a coffee bean with a little paw print on it he said you've changed the culture at clemson he said damon and he said this in 2018 before the pandemic john said the world needs the coffee bean message right now let's write a book We'll call it the coffee bean. Will you write a book with me? Think about this opportunity sitting in front of me to write a book with John Gordon, a huge best-selling author. You know what my response was? You go write the book yourself, John. You don't need me, man. You're John Gordon. You can do the book yourself. Whew. Thankfully, John is a great stand-up guy because he said no, Damon. He said, God has already given me the download of what this this book cover looks like, and your name is on that cover. Let's write this book. So we do. We write the book called The Coffee Bean. Comes out in July 2019. Best-selling book right out of the gate. It's a it's a best-selling book all over the world. The book is published now in every language in the world: Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian. German, Korean. It's in every language in the world, but it all goes back to one night in Houston, Texas, January 12, 2017 in the corner of the Toyota Center after I've been told no seven times at night and I stick around to get that last no. Imagine if I'd have walked out of the door after seven notes without talking to Dabo Swinton, who I'm sure was going to be a no, but it ended up being the biggest yes in the world. You wouldn't know who I am. You wouldn't have the coffee bean message. My life would forever be changed, but I was willing to put in the work. And that's what you have to do in your life too. You have to put in the work. Don't be afraid to ask questions in life. Any question. The only question you know the answer to is the one you don't ask. That's a no every single time. Ask your questions in life. Put in the word. So I'm going to wrap this up with what I call a call to action. It's this, y'all. Life is a pot of boiling water. You already know it. you got three choices. You can be like the carrot that turns soft and sad and weak. And guess what? You're going to be the carrot sometime. That's right. Everybody's going to be the carrot. You're going to be sad sometimes. That that natural human emotion to be a carrot. It's okay. To be the carrot, but don't get stuck there. Then there's gonna be those days that beat you down and make you hard and mad and mean and angry and irritable. Those are the egg days. And if you're anything like me, you have a lot more egg days than carrot days. I'm gonna egg all the time. I, it's okay. You're gonna be the egg sometimes, but you can't get stuck there because you have a third choice. We all have this third choice, y'all, to be like that coffee mean. You know what a coffee mean does on a carrot day or egg day? Stops the day and starts it over. You can start your day over anytime you didn't. You don't have to start your day when you wake up in the morning. Start your day over at nine o'clock in the morning, ten o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night, whatever. Having a bad day, take a step back. Take a deep breath and tell life, you know what life? I'm not gonna live like, I'm not gonna be the carrot and I'm not gonna be the egg. And then you run and jump in that pot of boiling water called life and tell life, you know what? Turn it up. I'm a coffee bean. I got this. And the longer the coffee bean sits in the pot of boiling water called life, the stronger that pot of coffee is going to be. So my call to action to each and every one of y'all is the same call to action Mr. Jackson gave me 13 years ago when the prison bus picked me up to serve a life sentence in a Texas maximum security prison. My call to action to you is you go out there and you, Team Ziggler, you go be a coffee bean. Go be a coffee bean, y'all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you.
1: A big thanks to you, our listening audience, for continuing to make us one of the most listened to business podcasts in the world. A big thanks to Damon West, Mike Van Ryan, and Ziegler Auto Group President and CEO Aaron Ziegler for contributing to this podcast episode. Join the Driving Vision podcast next week as we go behind the scenes with Damon West, hear never before aired experiences, including how he may be the only American on parole to have ever entered England and the reaction he got trying to enter that country. Also, Damon's advice to the coffee bean navigating the hot waters of today's business world so until next week how are you driving vision today